You're listening to the Utah Checkdown Podcast. And now your host, Josh Furlong. Welcome back to another edition of the Utah Checkdown Podcast. I am Josh Furlong. I am solo today. Robert Jackson is out on vacation, so uh, we're going to do this a little mano-a-mano. I'm happy to be back today. Uh, There's a lot happening up on the hill. Uh, Fall camp is definitely coming closer to an end as we gear up for the actual football games of the season, which is great. It's great to be able to actually have some football games to talk about because honestly, I think we're getting down to the point of the season where uh, we're just done talking about speculation. We want to see results on the field. We want to see things happening. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, There's a few things that uh, we're going to talk about today. Uh, First off is uh, the AP Top 25 rankings were released on Monday. By now, you've probably seen them. If not, uh, you know that uh, Utah is at number seven in the preseason rankings. This is the highest ranking that they've ever received. Uh, The previous high was uh, 14. That was back in 2019. So this is a a pretty monumental year for the Utes in the sense of, of what's at stake for them. Um, what what opportunities they have for them, you know, being inside that top 10, as we've talked about many times, is that uh, that, that gives them the, the first right to be able to kind of say that they are a college football playoff contender. Now, you know, the reality of that, we'll see. Um, I think that Florida game will be a big decider in that, but um, at least gives you that instant credibility that that Utah is is amongst that group that that is being talked about there. Now, if we're being realistic, the the top three, that being Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, are easily uh, you know a step above the rest of the competition. I think I've I've seen and I've read a lot from from various voters and from other people that that had the same opinion that I had that those top three are kind of in a class of their own at least to start the beginning of the season, uh, those three, you know, they seem to be the, the odds-on favorite to be able to, to, to compete for that championship, um, being able to do that. But anything between 4 and 10, which is definitely where Utah is, um, there's, there's a lot more questions involved. Uh, Utah's obviously tried to eliminate as many questions as possible. They bring back a lot of talent, so that definitely helps them. But you know, it's it's still taking that next step. Utah's never been to that stage. They've never, you know, run through the Pac-12 undefeated. They've they've done it twice where they've lost one game in conference play, but for the most part, it's it's a, it's a tough challenge. So um, it'll it'll be fun to look at. Uh, but I think you know, getting that number seven ranking is is a sign of respect. It's something that that Utah's worked really hard for. It's something that uh, you know, if they can dominate this season or at least do well at a competitive level that's going to to help them further down the road to be able to stay near kind of that upper echelon of of the AP rankings. Now with that, uh, there were two other Pac-12 teams included in the rankings. First off, the, the, the next one is Oregon at number 11, just barely missing the top 10. Uh, Oregon is still one of those teams that I think people expect to be really good. I expect them to be good. There's just uh, questions at quarterback and, and maybe some other positions, but for the most part, they're supposed to be a solid team uh, and, and are able to, to challenge in the Pac-12. And then behind them, just shortly after, is USC at number 14. 
Now, USC is, is an intriguing team in the sense that, uh, you know, they come off of a terrible season by, uh, by every standard <laughs> of the means, you know, where, we're, you know, you're four and eight. There, there's not a lot of optimism around the program at that time. Uh, you know, the, the fans coming into the L.A. Coliseum, they just simply weren't showing up. They were getting beat in the L.A. Coliseum more than they, they ever usually do. And finally, they go in and hire Lincoln Riley. They bring in a, a cast of, of talent. You know, you start off with Caleb Williams at, at uh, quarterback, which everybody has already tabbed him as a Heisman contender. And they're not wrong. I think from what we've seen so far at Oklahoma, I, I think he should at least be in that conversation. But then they went in and got the Blitkinoff winner last year in, in Jordan Addison. You get uh, Brandon Rice from from Colorado. You get Travis Dye from uh, Oregon as as your one of your running backs. I, I, I you know they're they're a loaded position there, and and I can see why many people have USC that high. That's about where I ranked them as well. So um, it, it's all speculative at this point. You know we don't know what Lincoln Riley is going to do. It's it, it'll be interesting to see how they start. You know they I, I believe they start on uh, in a game against Rice. Which isn't really, you know, going to tell us a lot, but it at least gives us a good look at at what USC is capable of moving forward with with all the talent and and uh, optimism surrounding them. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, other other teams that uh, you know locally, BYU comes in at number twenty five. Um, I think, you know, I know this is a Utah podcast, but for me, I feel like BYU's uh, kind of been a bit of a sleeper here. I, I don't think people are respecting them as much as they should. Now, I get it. There's there's a lot of reasons for people to see BYU and say that they shouldn't even be ranked. Uh, you know, it, it, if you look, you know, without looking too closely at their team, it, it looked like they kind of fell apart at the end of the season, especially with that loss to UAB. But the reality is, is they're bringing back a lot of talent that was injured last year. They've got a lot of great opportunities, you know, at their disposal. Jaron Hall is a great quarterback, and they will uh, they, they they should do well, right? Barring injuries or anything that way. Uh, my my one uh, caveat to that is, is I believe that they have to find somebody to replace Tyler Algier. He was a he was a force for them that that did a lot more in their games than I think many many give him credit for. Not that people aren't giving him credit, but I think uh, you know he he won them a lot of games last year, and there's there's many reasons to point to. Um, but since this is a Utah podcast, we won't dwell on BYU too much. Um, but we'll look at maybe some of the other uh, teams that are in, are in or not in, um, and that first one being Florida. So this is obviously Utah's first opponent of the season. They go down to the swamp. Um, you know the, the betting lines have come out, and and Utah is only a two and a half point favorite down in the swamp. And a lot of people look at that and say, okay, they're the number seven team ranked in the country going up against an un or an unranked team who has a new head coach, you know, things haven't been going well for Florida for the last few years. They're still a competitive team, but they're not maybe at that level where they were winning national championships and competing uh, at a higher level. But the reality is, is you're going into a very hostile environment. You're going into a place where it, it's very difficult to enter the swamp and, and come away with a win. And Utah's going to find out really quickly that, you know, that humidity and that heat and the fans that are just going to be 90,000 loud in a primetime game in SEC country is going to be a very difficult situation. So, um, yeah, they're unranked. Uh, the Utes are favored by only two and a half points, but I think all of that is fair. I think there's a lot of um, reasons to believe that, that this is going to be a much more difficult game than, than maybe Utah fans are hoping. Uh, you know, I think many want to see them come in and roll, and, and, and Utah is more than capable of being able to do that, be that team. 
but I but I think it can be it can be a tough game. So we'll we'll talk about that more. Um, but I think what's interesting is uh, Utah right now, as part of their their fall camp practices, you know everything is pretty much turning to to Florida's attention right now. Even though we're about two weeks out, you know that what they're doing is they're practicing in the indoor facility. They're, you know, they have the heat all the way up as much as they can, trying to simulate the heat there. And they've also done things to be able to try to bring in humidity into there. Now, that's hard, obviously, in Utah. It feels more like a sauna than it does the actual humidity down in in Gainesville. But Utah's doing everything they can to try to, you know, replicate that as, as best as possible. I tweeted about that yesterday, and uh, it's been funny to see the the Florida fans' reactions uh, talking about how you just you can't prepare for it, right? Uh, it smacks you in the face. Uh, you think you've got it down, and then by the third quarter, you know you're you're dead. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, for any of you that are traveling to to, to Canesville, I, you know it's it, it's a it's going to be a treat. I think anybody that's lived in in Utah, Utah, sorry, or uh, any of these uh, western states understand that the dry heat is far different than uh, a humid heat. So. Uh, that's definitely something to be paying attention to, and, and we'll explore that moving forward. Uh, but one of the other teams that, that was not ranked, and it has nothing to do with Utah, but I think is, is funny, is Texas. Uh, Texas was ranked in the coaches' poll. They even received one first-place vote for some reason. For whatever reason, somebody thought that they should be there. I still think it was a mistake, and it should have been Texas A&M, but what do I know? But Texas is not ranked in the preseason, so that's that's something that uh, – that's interesting. You know, everybody wants to talk about Texas is back. Um, it's a, I feel like it's a yearly tradition for us to be able to debate that, but they are definitely not back as of right now. They are not in the preseason top 25. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how these uh, top 25 uh, teams shake out as the season progresses. A lot of people want to characterize them as not being worthwhile. There's not a lot of value to them. They're meaningless. Some people say, you know, we shouldn't even have a poll till week four or five. You can count Kyle Whittingham in that group. He kind of believes that there's no reason to evaluate teams that early. But the reality is, is we, you know, we rank them. This is how it goes. TV executives and TV networks, they want to see, you know, who is ranked and who's going to be the best and, and different things that way. So it, it's interesting. It has meaning. It has value. Is it a lot of value? No, but it's something fun to be able to look at and be able to judge. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'll keep you guys updated on how I vote each week as well. I'll try to do my best to explain, you know, my, my reasoning on that. I know this is a, a Utah podcast, so we won't stray too far, but you know, I'll, I'll try to give some insight on to that. Now, moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, some of the more, uh, things that are happening up on, uh, up at Utah following their first uh, scrimmage of the season. Now, Kyle has already talked about that they're not going to do as much live work this year, at least with those veteran guys, the you know the starters, the guys that are already proven and and have uh, established their spot. So, it, it, it's a far different situation, but at the same time, scrimmages are still important, and it's one of those areas that that Utah has to figure out. And by all accounts, at least from what they're saying, you know, we don't get to watch the scrimmages media, so uh, we we. You know, we have to take the word of the players and the coaches at at face value at times. Um, but from what we've heard is is everything is going well. It's on progress. There's obviously still things that, that need to be corrected, things that need to be fixed. But for the most part, everything is kind of on plan. Now, the the first area that that needs to really be addressed is is the offensive line. 
Last year, anybody that watched the Utah season understands that that offensive line started slow. There wasn't a lot of consistency. There wasn't a lot of uh, ability to be able to, you know, get that protection and that you keep the pressures from coming. Hence why uh, Utah really struggled in BYU, really struggled against San Diego State and, and started out slow in the season. But we talked to, to Jim Harding yesterday, and he, you know, he, he owned up on that. He, you know, he, he recognizes that it wasn't the best situation for them last year. They were trying to come into their own, trying to figure out how they were going to be, and quite honestly, they could have done better. You know, he, he, he recognizes there was a lot of chatter out there from fans and other people that were, were really frustrated in, in what was going on, and, and, and he owns it, right? I mean, he's, he, he understands what his job is, and he understands that that, that offensive line needs to be hitting at least – I wouldn't say, you know, end of season mode, but they need to at least be hitting at a higher level than what they were doing before or else they're not going to be able to have that, uh, you know, effectiveness to be able to compete as the number seven team in the country. Now, Harding says that, uh, you know, they feel comfortable with, with eight guys going forward. These are a lot of veteran players, guys that have gotten a lot of experience. Obviously, obviously, you lose uh, Bam Oliseni and Nick Ford, which are big losses. But Utah does return guys that, that have a lot of playing experience, have a lot of great opportunities ahead of them, and they feel like they have the consistency and the, you know, the know-how to be able to protect Cam Rising and being able to move forward. Now, with those eight guys, there are a couple battles. There's a couple things going on still that nothing is fully set, um, but at least those eight guys are, are kind of in the mix. They're always going to kind of be there. Harding says, that, you know, barring injury, this is kind of where Utah is going to be. That's not to say somebody couldn't crack that, that you know, depth chart or, or really make a, a splash. But for the most part, it's going to be eight guys that, that are established in their roles. Uh, he said, or this is being Harding, he, he said that the, the benefit that they have this year is that they don't have guys trying to play multiple positions, right? Like if you remember, Nick Ford, you know, he, he played center, but they would say, okay, we can move him over to left guard or right guard or left tackle, right tackle, wherever it may be. This year, they feel like they have much more consistency in every single position where every player that is competing is just competing for that one spot. You're not getting a left tackle guy moving over to right tackle and vice versa. So I think that gives Utah a lot more ability to to start fast. They don't have to think about so many positions. They can kind of focus in on that at a, at a higher rate. So that should benefit Utah going forward. Obviously, they get uh, Florida to start, which won't be an easy task, but uh, that, that's all the, the more reason for Utah to start quick in that area. Now, looking at that, um, of the eight guys, we kind of have a, a good idea. We've, we've gotten about seven of them by name from, from the coaching staff. Um, we can kind of figure out that the eighth is probably Michael Mokofisi uh, as, as the two-depth. Uh, Michael Mokofisi currently is in a battle with Keaton Bills at left guard. Uh, Keaton Bills recently had an appendectomy that was uh, a little unknown to everybody, um, but Harding said that, that that happened recently, and and so he's competing for that spot still. But for the most part, I think Keaton Bills will likely still be that starter with Mokofisi, you know, mixing in sometimes, or or maybe starting early in the season as Keaton Bills kind of gets back into into shape with with being able to have that surgery. But that's one of the battles there. Uh, you also have at center Paul Miley, who he obviously backed up uh, Nick Ford, got a lot of experience there. 
uh, understood what needed to happen. He he comes back and has has that experience, but he's in he's in a battle with Johnny Maia, which you know is is a great opportunity. It's one of those areas at center where where Harding says he wants to focus in the most because obviously if you can snap the ball effectively, if you can control that offensive line and understand, you know, the blitz pickups and, and, and the various schemes out there, that's going to help everybody that much more. You know, Cam obviously can help with that, uh, you know, behind them and being able to see what's going on. But, he, you know, Harding really wants to get that center figured out and understand what's happening there. So that'll be an interesting battle to see. I still think Paul Miley is kind of the, the odds-on favorite to win that job. But don't be surprised if you see Johnny Maia there uh, taking reps at that center. Now, Obviously, the, the, the proven commodities there is uh, Braden, Daniels, Braden Daniels at left tackle. Uh, he's, he's been talked about a lot ever since spring about being you know, the big influence guy, the guy that's the leader of this team on the, on the offensive line. He's somebody that has been consistent. That's a great area to be for him in, in the sense that he's able to provide that protection for Cam Rising and that blindside uh, just being able to to really help there. So you've got to like what you see there, the fact that you know he's not getting a ton of buzz in the sense that people are bringing up his name, but I think that goes to the value of him being able to consistently work at a high level. Um, you also have Satoa Lomea at right guard, who, uh, you know, there doesn't appear to be a battle there. Everything seems to be consistent there. Um, he's obviously gotten a lot of praise over the years. Uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of consistency there. And then on the, the right tackle um, side, there, there still is a battle there with Jaron Kump, who is trying to acclimate back into the system. Obviously, it's been a long go with with injuries and different things, trying to be able to get him healthy and staying on that line. When he is in the lineup, uh, you, you know Utah has fared really well. They've they've done well. He's obviously a proven guy that they they believe and trust. They've they've loved him since his freshman season, and they think that he has a lot at uh, uh, to be able to do there. But battling with him is Falcon Kamatule. Um, who's, who's really getting a lot of love as well. He's a big guy that, um, you know, can, can be really physical on the edge, be able to, to, you know, help against those defensive ends, the edge rush and, and, and different things that way. So that'll be an interesting battle. I, you know, I'm excited to see how it plays. Um, I think at the very least Utah should be confident with what they have. So if, if you're an offensive line guy, you can obviously read up more on that and, and be excited about that. Though I know uh, a, a lot of people kind of struggle with offensive line play, but uh, the reality is, is this is the area where, where Utah has to hit on all cylinders, you know, starting in play. If Cam is running for his life uh, because the offensive line can't give him the protection that he needs, Utah's never going to be what they need to be. And you've got to hit strong, right? Okay, you lose to Florida, you go beat Southern Utah and then San Diego State. That's great. You know, that helps you in non-conference. You did better than last year in that regard, but you really lost any momentum and any drive that you had to be able to be able to be in that college football playoff contention. So this is the area that I think people should pay attention to the most. It's the one that is the least sexy and people don't care about the offensive line. And I get it. It's hard to kind of pay attention to that, but uh, that's, that's one area that I'm going to be focusing in on uh, when Utah kicks off uh, on September 3rd. Now, Next up is uh, the quarterback battle. Now, in years past, uh, you know, after Tyler Huntley left, Utah had obviously been trying to get in a consistent quarterback, and they, they always really thought that Cam Rising was going to be that guy. They brought in, you know, two transfer quarterbacks, veteran guys that were expected to, to do well, Jake Bentley, Charlie Brewer, and, and it just hasn't worked out. And so there's always been this uh, battle in, in camp and fall camp to be able to find the, the starter 
Cam was named the starter in 2020, but obviously that season went off the rails because of COVID, as well as because Cameron got injured in the first game of the season. So that, you know, that didn't help. And then last year, it was more about Cam's recovery, you know, his his uh, rehabilitation and being able to do what he can do versus a guy that has been relatively proven in the SEC with South Carolina and, and being able to do that. So this is the first year that we have Cam, you know, fully as a starter. There's no questions. You know, Cam treats this as if he's still, you know, fighting for his job. Uh, I think that's the way you should treat it, even though you're the starter and, and nobody's questioning that. But I think, yeah, you know, they're, they're making the progress that needs to be made. You ask Kyle or, or Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator, and both of them are really excited about what they see out of, of uh, Cam Rising. I, I, they kind of get this little smile on their face um, that, that just kind of speaks volumes more than what they actually say. There's a lot of things that, that they're able to kind of say in that in the sense that they really believe in Cam and his abilities. They think he can do even more than what he's done in years past. They see a lot of potential out of him this year. I, I don't know if it's going to be noticeably different, right? Like, I don't know if Cam's going to come out here and, and add a whole wide range of arsenal to uh, to his game. But uh, I, I think it's more just his his accuracy, his ability to diagnose the, the blitz coverages or, or whatever that may be than trying to be able to, to help his team be successful. So we understand that Cam is a the guy. There's no question there, right? We understand that. I think it's it's a great opportunity for Utah to enter the season without that distraction um, and being able to move forward. So uh, the fact that he's continuing to make progress is is all the better. But behind behind Cam is is the quarterback two battle. That one's the one that uh, I think people are really interested in. A lot of people thought Jaquindon Jackson was always kind of naturally the the number two behind Cam. But Bryson Barnes got the start, not the start, but the, the you know, to come in in the, the Rose Bowl. He obviously does what he does, you know, gets Utah into a tie game with Ohio State before they go down and, and kick the game-winning field goal. But, but the point is that both of these guys are, are now at a level where, you know, the, the number two position has been raised significantly. You know, I look at somebody like uh, Bryson Barnes as a guy that's going to be consistent. He's going to be that guy that's always going to do what you need him to do. He's not necessarily going to be the most flashy. That doesn't mean that he can't. I think uh, a lot of people are kind of sleeping on his ability to be able to, you know, pass the ball and be able to hit uh, deep passes and, and, and really do what he needs to do to be able to help a Utah team. But for the most part, I see him as kind of that consistent guy, the guy that uh, would be very great to have as a number two quarterback. But you also have somebody in that room named Jaquindon Jackson, who is much more of a higher ceiling guy. You know, he's he's multi talented. He's he, he's able to run. We've seen a lot of what he's able to do. A lot of people love to call him the J train because he just he can bulldoze people. Um, and, and the funny thing is, is he's he you know, he, he's bulked up. He, he, I was mentioning this to a bunch of other uh, writers yesterday. It looks like he's actually bulked up more. He was already a big guy, but it, it looks like a much more healthy weight, if that makes sense. Um, he comes in uh, with, with a lot more confidence. You can see it in how he's, he's approaching things. That's not to say that you know, he thinks he's the number two guy. I think he understands that he's in a true battle with Bryson, and, um, and he understands that, that, you know, that Barnes is, is an incredibly smart quarterback and knows exactly what to do. But I think he, you're seeing a different level to his game 
that, that we haven't seen before. And even if it's just confidence, you know, and I think that goes a long ways in being able to be an effective quarterback. Most quarterbacks that are scouted and, you know, recruited at this level, they understand how to pass the ball. We get that, right? Like it, it, it makes sense. But to be able to go to that next level, you have to be able to have that con, con, confidence, excuse me, um, and being able to do whatever you need to do in the pressure situation. And I think Jaquindon is making that progress. Kyle Whittingham had talked about, you know, he's he's made some of the biggest progress of, of the entire year. It's He's one of those guys that you look at him and he's night and day different from where he was last year. You know, and so if you're, you know, if you're a fan of this competition, you're a fan of QB competition, I think you have to be excited about what Jaquindon is doing and what he can provide. Now, with that being said, we still don't really know what he can do on the field. Yeah, we saw it in spring game and he did well, but we don't know what that's like in a real setting. And I think that's where it's going to really maybe show us what's going on. I, I, I don't even know if we'll really get that unless Cam gets hurt, which, you know, if that happens, that changes the season's outlook quite a bit. But I think, you know, you might get that first look in that Southern Utah game in week two. At least Utah should hope that they get that, knowing that, uh, you, you know, Southern Utah shouldn't be a problem. So it'll be an interesting battle. Um, it's it's one that I'm I'm giving a leg up on Jaquindon Jackson just simply because of the progress that he's made and simply because he comes in with a lot more confidence, right? Bryson Barnes is still a good guy. He's still a guy that, you know, nobody should be disappointed to see if, if uh, Cam unfortunately goes down or they take him out for whatever reason. I think you've, you've got a great opportunity there. So uh, you've, you've got a lot of opportunities in that room. You've got Nate Johnson behind them, who's another guy that is developing. Um, sure, he might be considered in the, in the debate for QB2, but the reality is, is he's, he's looking to... Uh, to really just gain experience this year and kind of figure that out. But I think, you know, he's got a lot of upside. Kyle's talked about it. He's, he's one of those guys that I think uh, a lot of people should be, be looking forward to in the future. All right. Now that we've talked about the QB competition, we're going to uh, transition a little bit to wide receivers. Um, there, there's still a lot of, of questions here at wide receiver. Um, Devon Vele, we've talked about this. I think it was last week where we said that uh, he, he wants to see some more production out of, of that group. He wants to be the ones that uh, that are winning the games for the team, not the tight ends, not the running backs. Obviously, those two, he understands, are very capable and experienced and, and talented in what they do, but he wants that wide receiver group to be able to be in that mix, right? Like, he wants them to to really just take hold of the game plan and, and, and make them much more a bigger facet of, of what Andy Ludwig can, can scheme and, and be able to do to help maybe these different things. You know, you open up that, that outside threat, the deep ball threat, and now those tight ends are even more effective because the open field uh, in the middle. Now the running backs can, can work in the way that they need, they need to. So Vele is, is, is kind of setting the tone. He understands what needs to happen. He understands that uh, you can't just call yourself a wide receiver and everything's going to be great. But he, he sees a lot of progress. He sees a lot of things going on. He says there's a lot of expectations and pressure. Um, and, and, and he's right. I, you know, Utah has never really been that destination for a wide receiver to to really dominate. You had Darren Carrington, who transferred from Oregon uh, years ago, who, who made a, a big splash. But beyond that, you need more guys that are able to do it, right? Britton Covey is no longer the focus of the offense in terms of the slot and being able to just be that shifty guy that 
that can you know weasel his way out of, of different situations. Now Utah has to be able to have a guy to be able to you know be a deep ball threat. Maybe it's Jalen Dixon, maybe it's Vele, maybe it's Solo. Um, there's there's a lot of those guys that need to be instrumental in there. Now one one guy that uh, you know that keeps coming up. I, I I've gone to practice uh, many times in fall camp this year, and uh, I like to ask a lot of the offensive players in different position groups. Uh, a lot in the wide receiver room, but running backs in different areas. Who's the one guy that is maybe the breakout star this year or get somebody that, that fans should pay attention to? And without fail, without me you know, prompting a, a player's name or anything like that, everybody keeps pointing back to Money Parks. He's a sophomore receiver. You know, he comes in here. He had one catch last year against USC for a 12-yard touchdown. It was obviously instrumental in, in helping Utah roll in that game and give Utah its first win in the Coliseum. But it was it was one play. It's literally the only play that he's had since it's since being at, at Utah. But a lot of people have talked about his ability to be able to come out there, the progress that he's made. It's not just okay, he's catching more passes. It's everything. He has confidence. His route running. His his ability to um, diagnose the 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 defense and and what they're trying to do against him. Everybody continues to point to him as kind of that breakout star. We, we've seen glimpses. We've seen his ability. You know, he, he's, he's a guy that really should add another threat to uh, Utah's wide receiver corps. It's, he's one of those guys that is fast, and he can do what he needs to do. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued uh, when they all say that. The fact that every single one of them is saying that, it's not like I've had a few people say, oh, somebody else. It's, it's every single person has said money parks. And so to me, that, that kind of peaks up and, and gives me a reason to, to pay attention a little bit more uh, beyond like Vele, right? Vele is going to have a special season. We saw it in spring. He was doing things that I don't think I've seen him do before, but uh, it'll be interesting to see a guy like Money Parks and what he's able to do. Obviously, we have somebody like a Mackay, Mackay Cope um, who, who did really well in the spring game. He caught that wonderful grab, uh, one-handed grab to be able to you know, you know get the ball in play. You know, you have guys out there that are going to be able to do a lot of things. You have young guys like Sidney and Banasor who, who should be able to, to get in there. Tao Johnson, you've got a lot of people that should be able to help. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes and, and kind of how the, the wide receiver room progresses and, and what we're able to see from them. So uh, pay attention to that. Uh, I'm excited to see it just as much as you are and see if, if that wide receiver room has taken the necessary steps that they need to to make Utah much more of a, a viable offense, right? Vele says, you know, people people say Utah is a defensive school. Well, now we're switching that to an offensive school. And I think we're slowly starting to see that to some extent. It's still going to be a defensive school. You never doubt Kyle Whittingham or Morgan Scally and what they're able to do. But now you're starting to see what Andy Ludwig is able to do with his offense, with Cam, with these tight ends, with these running backs, which has been deeper than ever. And, and I think you can kind of trust that. So we'll see how it goes. Um, obviously, we still have two more weeks before we get to see uh, any of this in action, but it should be a fun time. So uh, thank you for uh, listening to the Checkdown podcast. We will uh, move forward next week with uh, Rob Jackson. He's going to come back from vacation. We also have a, a lot of fun things planned that I can't talk about yet, but uh, know that we've got a lot of things planned for this season and that uh, we want to make sure that, that you're enjoying it that we're going to bring in some interesting perspectives and bring in different people that will uh, give you a little bit more insight into the Utah football program. But thanks for listening, and uh, we'll chat again uh, this week.